Amen. Brother James began last week a series easily titled, Let Us Pray. You know, sometimes we try to come up with a clever name for our our sermon series, and sometimes we come up with something clever, and sometimes we don't. Um, I like this one, Let Us Pray. It gets to the point and makes it clear what we are talking about, what we're discussing, why we're here. Let us pray. Let us become a people who pray. You know, we really don't want prayer lives. We want, we, what we really want is lives of prayer. You know the difference, right? Prayer lives is we take a little segment of our life and we say, this is our prayer life portion. What we really want to become is a people who our entire lives are lives of prayer. That's what we're trying to get at. And Brother James began our series last week focusing on this, this life of prayer, praying in all circumstances, praying for all reasons, praying all the time. The call and the privilege that we have to go to Yahweh as shall be prayed. God is holy, so that makes what we're doing here this morning such a blessing. Because we do not deserve to come and worship a holy God unless He has done something for us. So it is a privilege to pray in all circumstances. And we know that when we come to God praying sincerely with humble hearts, He hears us. We don't ever have to question whether or not God hears us. Brother James laid that out last week. He hears our prayers and he answers our prayers when we come to him with sincere hearts. And over the subsequent sermons, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the Christian perspective of prayer. We're going to talk about individual prayers in Scripture. Hopefully, all the while, encouraging us to become better people of prayer. To have lives of prayer. Now, before I get to our multiple texts this morning, we're going to be looking at all the prayers in the book of Revelation. Okay, there's five of them. But before we do that, I want to discuss the praise dilemma. The praise dilemma. When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, you remember this, right? They say, Lord, teach us to pray. He starts off, and what does he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. This is, this is how Jesus wants us to come to prayer. When we come to God in prayer, he wants us to start with this attitude of hallowing the name of God. Now, what does this mean? First, hallowed literally means to sanctify or set apart. We are to value the name of God Above and beyond and set apart above all else. Amen, church? God's name above everything. We're going to praise him above everything. We're going to worship him above everything. We're going to value him above everything. We're going to treasure him above everything. That's, that's how Jesus starts off to his people. He says, listen, when you're going to pray, you need to start by hallowing the name of God. Set it apart and praise it and uplift it and exalt it. 
Secondly, it means that we are able to make the praise of the name of God primary. We are to uplift his name and we are to make praise to him primary in our prayers. You know, so often when we come to God in prayer, we come to God with a list of prayer requests. And I am not saying there is anything wrong at all with coming to God with a list of prayer requests. We will talk in this series about petitioning God. But when Jesus is getting his disciples to understand prayer, he's saying, listen, you need to start by praising the name of God. You need to start by uplifting his name, exalting him and praising him. It is primary in our prayers. God commands that we praise him and hallow his name above everything else. Now, this leads to the dilemma. A dilemma that my good friend C.S. Lewis addresses in this little book. This is just a small little book called The Reflections on the Psalms. Uh, it is just his thoughts about the Psalms. And this is a wonderful little book. But he brings up some he brings up this dilemma, a dilemma that he had before he became a Christian and even after he became a Christian. Here's what he says. When I first began to draw near to belief in God or even sometime after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand to so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demands it. So he, the dilemma was, why are we praising God and why does God demand that we praise him? This troubled Lewis because none of us can stand the guy who runs around seeking the praise of people. Right? Nobody likes the guy that runs around telling everybody else to tell them they're great. Nobody likes that person. Lewis goes on to say, We all despise the man who demands continued, continual assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise more the crowd of people round every dictator, millionaire, every celebrity who gratify that demand. So not only do we not like the person who runs around telling everybody else that they're the greatest, we also don't like the people that surround that person and tell that person they're the greatest. And Lewis says, but that's what God is doing. God's saying, tell me I'm the greatest. And all you people, all the people that worship God, we run around telling him that he's the greatest. The Bible is littered with praises and commands to praise. So this can sometimes bring a horrible picture in mind as if God is saying that what he wants most of all is to be told that he is great and good and that if you praise him, he'll bless you for it. There's the dilemma. God, it seems, is saying to people, I need you to praise me. I need you to glorify me. I need you to tell me how great I am. And if you do it, I'll bless you. This was the dilemma that C.S. Lewis came to. But then he says this. He said that he realized something was missing. He writes, The most obvious fact about praise, whether God or anything else, strangely escaped me. 
I thought of it in terms of compliments, approval, or giving honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. When you delight in something or someone, you know what you do? You praise that thing. It's a universal truth. Anything you delight in, anything that you find enjoyment in, you talk about it and you praise it. I know this for a fact because I'm a Dallas Maverick fan. And I like to tell people how great the Mavericks are, how wonderful they are. I love talking about the Mavericks. I love praising Luca. I memorize a couple songs that were even written about Luca. Luca, 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 Luca. That's one of them. I mean, there's more to it than that. It's not the whole song, but. When we delight in something, we are going to overflow with praise for that thing or that someone. So this helps C.S. Lewis to understand that all the praise in the Bible wasn't about God going, I need you to praise me. I need you to praise me. I need you to praise me. It was people finding enjoyment in God and spontaneously because they enjoy him bursting forth in praise. You can't help but praise God when you enjoy and delight in God. And C.S. Lewis said this too. He says, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge other people to join in in the praising. I don't want to just think Luke is great. I need you to think he's great. And if you don't, we're going to have to argue about it. Because I want you to get in on this. You need to watch the Maverick game tomorrow night. It's going to be great. Here's what's going to happen. The Cowboys played, oh, you might not get a lot of delight out of that, but the Cowboys played today. You know, they got a playoff game. When we delight, we praise, and we want other people to praise as well. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Didn't you think that was magnificent? The psalmist is telling everyone to praise God. Is simply doing what everybody does when they speak about what they care about. When you speak about what you care about, you want other people to care about it too. You want other people to love it. So now Lewis understands the desire for other people to praise. You praise what you love, what you treasure, what you delight in, and you spontaneously want others to acknowledge and treasure and enjoy it as well. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. You ever notice that you, it's not just that we're expressing our enjoyment of something when we talk about it or we praise it, but it's actually the last part of the enjoyment. How much joy do you get out of praising God? Don't you get so much joy from praising God? See, it's not just the expression of the enjoyment. It's actually part of the enjoyment. When you praise God, you're actually enjoying God in the midst of that praising. Our joy is complete when we praise. 
even if our expression is inadequate, which, of course, it will always be when we praise God. I want to give you this last quote. But how? If one could really and fully praise even such a thing to perfection, utterly get out in poetry or music or paint the upsurge of appreciation which almost bursts you, then the object would be fully appreciated and our delight would have attained perfect development. The worthier the object, the more intense the delight would be. Here's what he's saying. If we could get to the place in our praise of something where the object is of infinite worth and we are praising it perfectly, imagine the joy that would be. Imagine the joy that would come if the object is of infinite value and we could praise that object of infinite value perfectly. Imagine the enjoyment. What kind of praise would that sound like? So God, in telling us to praise him, is not in need. God is not up in heaven going, I just need people to praise me so I feel good about myself. I'm just feeling down. So that's the dilemma that people get into because they don't understand that when God tells us to praise him and glorify him, he knows that that's good for us. When you praise me, it is good for you. You're going to find enjoyment in worship me. You're going to be satisfied in worshiping me. So let me sum up Lewis on praise. We praise what we delight in and we spontaneously want others to enjoy what we treasure as well. And God is not commanding us to glorify him because he is selfish or in need, but because he knows that in glorifying him, we are enjoying him. And we will do this perfectly in the present heaven and the new earth. So here's what we're going to do this morning. A little bit different. When you turn to the book of Revelation, which I want you to do, this is exactly what we see. We actually get a picture of what Lewis just described. The object of infinite worth, infinite glory, being praised by a people perfectly. The book of Revelation actually gives us pictures of this very thing happening. You see, right now, we can't praise God adequately, right? We still live in a fallen world. We still have sinful flesh. But one day the sinful flesh will be gone. The fallen world will be gone, either in the present heaven or when Jesus comes back on the new earth. And what we're going to get in Revelation are pictures. We're going to get insight and visions into this very thing. So all of these prayers that we're going to look at in just a minute, all of them take place either in the present heaven or heaven on earth. That is the new earth. Turn with me first to Revelation chapter 4. This is John's vision of the throne of God. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 8 and verse 11. I won't go into describing what all the symbolic creatures are here, but you'll still get the point. 
So this is around the throne of Yahweh. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Then in verse 10 and 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who are seated on the throne and worship him with their lives forever and ever. And they cast their throne, their, their crowns before the throne and they say, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and by you will they exist and were created. That is happening right now. Before the throne of God right now. The people of God are crying out and singing, Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Look over to the next chapter, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Now the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb of God. So now what you have is you have the throne of God and now you have the Lamb who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. So now you've got God the Father on the throne, Jesus sitting with the Father on the throne and the 24 elders, which is the church, they are singing this, a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your, by you, your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Look at verses 12 and 13. Saying with a loud voice, a myriad and myriad and myriad of angels with the 24 elders, they are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is happening. This is happening. We are witnessing as we read this, what is happening before the throne of God right now. Turn with me to chapter seven. Just one verse here, verse 10. In verse 9 it says, A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and the peoples and the languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The church of Jesus Christ pictured here as a multitude of multitudes of multitudes dressed in white robes, symbolic of our Cleansing and our forgiveness and our righteousness. Worshiping God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 14. Verses 1 through 5. Here you don't have the words, but I want you to see this. 
Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I believe this is symbolic again of the church of Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders that no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from all the earth. Here you have this 144,000 who are singing a song that is so loud. It is like, I have never been, who's ever been to Niagara Falls? Has somebody been? I have heard that the roar of that much water and that waterfall is unbelievable. The volume of it, the, the loudness of these roaring waters. That's what's being pictured here. It is so loud. It is like Niagara Falls. This is the the sound of of these voices as they're lifting up their praise to God. And it says they're singing a new song. That language, new song, comes directly from the Old Testament. Every single time new song is used in the Old Testament for Israel, when Israel sings a new song, you know what has just happened before that? Deliverance. Every time. God delivers them and they sing a new song because that song is based on the deliverance they just experienced. Here, the people of God are singing a new song, the song of our ultimate deliverance. And we are worshiping the Lamb with this new song and it thunders. Chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Here's this loud, great multitude again. By the way, if there is a time for quiet in a church, and there's a time for roaring, thundering worship. Okay, there's a time to worship both ways. Those that only worship one way or another way, I think you kind of miss out sometimes on what this stuff's going to sound like, because here it sounds like, again, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. This is going to be loud. And here's what we say. Hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, and it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 14, chapter 19, we get insight into praises that are taking place right now in the present heaven or in heaven on earth when Jesus comes back on the new earth. And when you take these prayers as a whole, there is a common thread that is weaved throughout. Namely, prayers of praise for God's deliverance. That God has used His power and His might and His wealth and His wisdom. He uses all of these things for the deliverance of His people. In fact, these are the words, when you look at them, here's the common words that are used. Holy, worthy, glory, honor, power, Wealth, 
wisdom, might, blessing, blessing, rule. And you know what is attached to all of that? Salvation. Holy, worthy, glory, honor, power, wealth, wisdom, might, blessing, rule. And God uses all of that in His infinite, the infinity of what it is. He uses all that to save His people. And that's why we're singing so much when we get to heaven and on the new earth. That's why we're praising so much. Because we are now experiencing this ultimate, infinite one. He is worth of every, everything we could give Him. And now with no hindrance at all, we get to praise him for salvation in a way we've never been able to do it before in the present heaven and then even better on the new earth. I would argue that the praise that is happening in the present heaven will be better on the new earth than it is in the present heaven. But that's, you know, that's, you can leave that there. Remember what Lewis said, when you are praising the greatest being and you are doing it Perfectly, it will result in the greatest amount of joy and delight. So imagine what kind of joy and delight there is right now in the present heaven and what we will experience together on the new earth. These songs of praise, these choruses that ring out, us joining with the angels us joining together as, a, as the ultimate body of Christ, worshiping God and praising Him and praising Him and praising Him with no hindrance at all. Imagine the joy and delight that must come bursting forth out of us when we pray like this forever and ever. It's the reason why I titled the message Prayers of Future Praise. We have the benefit of reading God's words and seeing future praise. How cool is that? We actually get to read about the praises that are going to be happening that we haven't even done yet. Like the songs are already written, guys. The lyrics are there. The prayers have been written. We get to look into the future and see how we will praise God in the present heaven and the new earth. It's already revealed to us how it's going to go down. Now, we can use our imagination after that and let it go all over the place. But the core is here. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you five motivations Five motivations for the future prayers of praise to reach back into the present. How does those future prayers of praise, how should that impact your prayers today? Right? If that's the ultimate, we've done this before with all kinds of things, with the way that we love, with the way that we live, with, the, with unity, with all these things, right? You look into this future hope, this, this new thing that God is ultimately going to complete when he comes back. You look there and you say, since that is the ultimate, we ought to start doing that now. As inadequate as it may be, as imperfect as it may be, that is our goal. So if we've got written for us future prayers of praise, what we ought to do is let that reach back into the present and impact the way we pray now. So I'm going to give you five motivations taken from a few different theologians. Number one, the church on earth right now is the same society with those saints who are praising God in heaven. 
So right now in the present heaven, we have loved ones who have gone before us. Okay? We have people who have gone before us in the Lord. We have planted their bodies in the ground, but their spirit has gone right now into the present heaven where Jesus is bodily. And they are singing and worshiping and praising. We must not forget that we are the same society that they are. They are the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. We may be separated. They're in the far country right now. But we are one in Christ. I want you to understand what that means, church. When we just sang a while ago, all blessing and honor and glory and power. And what are we saying? How we do it? All blessing and honor and glory. When we sang that a while ago, we sang it with the body of Christ that's in the present heaven right now. I mean, if that doesn't make you just want to start flipping chairs over and going crazy, I don't know. I'm not saying we should do that, but kind of want to right now. Think, think about what that means. The angels in the present heaven and the, those Christians who have gone before us, when we sing blessing and honor and glory and power and might and wisdom, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we do that, we are doing it with the, the body of Christ that has already gone to the present heaven. We're singing together. I wouldn't be surprised if they just don't get in on the same songs and tunes that we're doing. Or maybe we've touched into some of theirs. Number two. We all hope to spend an eternity with the saints in heaven. In the same work of praising God. So if we want to, we know I want for the rest of my life, I want to go to heaven. When I die and when and when Jesus comes back, I want to come back with Jesus. I want to be on the new earth with Jesus and I want to praise him the way that we just read. So do it now. Do it now. We ought to begin now this work which was intended to do in heaven. If if our intention is to praise God like the people who have gone before us are right now. If that's our goal one day, I can't wait to praise God with those that have gone on before me and do it the way they're doing now. Well, then let's get on with it now. Let's not just sit and wait. One day I'm really going to praise. Yeah, you will. But let's get on with it now. Number three, the works of God's mercies for which the saints in heaven will chiefly praise him have been produced among us in the world. Think about this. In heaven, what did I say is tied to all of those words? Salvation. Deliverance. What we will be praising God for for eternity, the work that he has done, he's doing it now. He's doing on the earth now what we will begin praising him for, what we will praise him for forever. He's doing it now. In heaven, we will praise the Lord for what he did on earth. So let's start doing it on earth. We should have prayers of praise for what is happening right now upon the earth. And, and, here's, and here's what happens. We get so down so quickly and so easily. Because we can look around and see the stuff that ain't going right. Guess what? The church has always existed. in a. Listen, we tend to think that things are worse now than they've ever been. It's nonsense. They're not. They're not worse now than they've ever been. Evil has always been horrible on the earth. 
Things have always been horribly bad. The church has always been persecuted. It may manifest itself differently from country to country, from nation to nation, from time period to time period. But this world has always been fallen. It has always been bad. And if the church just wants to focus on what's not happening, guess what we're missing out on? We're missing out on future praise. Because what they're praising, they don't don't get to the new earth. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I got this in my mind. They don't get to the new earth and go, well, Lord, I wish you would have done this and I wish you would have done that. I wish things would have gone better here and I wish things would have gone better here, but I'm going to praise you anyway. No, what they do is they say, here's what you did. That kind of hope, that kind of excitement for what God was doing. And church, I'm not saying that we, we downplay our struggles. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that our eyes need to be fixed on what God is doing. Our eyes need to be fixed on the hope that, uh, of what He is going to do on the earth. Not the things that we wish He would do that He's not doing. What is He doing? And let's praise him for it because he is saving people from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. All around the world, God is moving in a way that we can't even see. So let's start praising him for what he's doing now on the earth because that's what we will do on the new earth when he comes back. Number four, if you praise God sincerely in this world, it will be a sign that you are really to be one of those who shall praise him in heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. If you praise God sincerely in this world, it will be a sign that you are really to be one of those who shall praise Him in heaven. When we praise God here now, when we are full of prayers of praise, we're acting like those that are going to be in heaven doing it. What we're doing is we're really picturing that we're going to be one of those in heaven doing it. Because people that are going to be doing it in heaven... They didn't cease to do it on the earth. It's not like they were sitting around not praising God and then all of a sudden they died and went to heaven and went, ooh, now I can praise Him. The sign that we'll be doing it forever is that we're doing it now. And if we do it now, it is going to be a picture to the whole world. Man, these people, maybe they've been made for something different. Maybe they've been made for something new. Yeah, we have been, a new creation. Number five, if we begin now to exercise ourselves in the work of heaven, prayers of praise, it will be the way to have foretaste of the enjoyments of heaven. Let let that sink in. If we begin now to exercise ourselves in the work of heaven, it will be the way to have foretaste of the enjoyments of heaven. When we are full of prayers of praise, we will experience little tastes of heaven on earth. That's what heaven on earth is going to be, isn't it? So when we are full of prayers of praise, we're tasting heaven on earth. And the more we praise, the more we'll taste. The more that these these kinds of prayers become primary in our life, the more that we hallow the name of God and we make prayers of praise primary in our lives of prayer, the more we're going to taste heaven on earth. 
If you heartily praise God, it's because you rejoice in Him. When you rejoice in God, He shows you more of Himself, more of His glories, more of His love. And then you'll still want more and you'll praise Him for that and He'll give you more and you'll praise Him for that and He'll give you more and you'll praise Him for that and He'll give you more. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying we do not pray for those who are suffering. It's contrary to Scripture. Or that we don't cast our cares upon the Lord. That's contrary to Scripture. What I'm calling for is not a dismissal of any other kind of prayer. What I'm calling for today is to make the prayer of praise primary. That's what, I, that's what I'm calling for. That's what Jesus called for. That's what Scripture called for. Is to take the future prayers of praise, let them reach into the present and impact us now so that we can have foretaste of heaven on earth, that we can hallow the name of God properly and we can experience joy and satisfaction in ways that we could not imagine. So let the future impact the present. Let us bless the Lord for who He is and for what He has done to deliver His people. Brother James has said this often and it needs to be repeated. The greatest miracle that you have ever experienced, ever seen, ever witnessed is when Jesus saved you. We can talk about all the kind of miracles that Jesus has done. The greatest miracle is salvation. So if nothing else is going right, you can still do the praising that future Future praise, future prayers are going to happen because that's what they're praising for. Deliverance, salvation, redemption. We can always do that. No matter what else is going on, we can always do that. That's the secret to being filled with utter delight and joy.